Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This episode of the New Statesman podcast is supported by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and simple to build your own professional website and online shop. For a free trial and 10% off, visit Squarespace.com and enter the offer code STATESMAN at checkout. A better web starts with your website. Hello and welcome to the New Statesman podcast. This week we're bringing you a politics special with all the action from the political party conferences. I'm Caroline Crampton. I'm here with George Eaton and Anusha Kalian to talk about the political party conference season, which is underway at the moment. We've just had Labour, UKIP is going on at the moment, and the Conservatives have their event this weekend. So looking back to Labour and Ed Miliband's speech, George, what, what were the things we took from this, the last conference before they fight the election? Mm. Well, they've very much chosen to put all their eggs in the living standards and NHS baskets. Which we expected, um, right? That was coming for years now. We did. And um, Ed Miliband made it clear to uh, uh, strategists and, and the shadow cabinet that he wanted a big offer on the NHS, something that would give Labour a dividing line with the Tories on the issue on which it polls best. And the question was over, how are you going to raise more money for the NHS? So Frank Field uh, suggested a rise in national insurance, which was what... Um, Gordon Brown did in the past and actually um, proved far more popular than most people expected, given it was a, uh, a rise in taxation for, for all taxpayers. Um, but that option was ruled out, I think, rightly because uh, Miliband and others felt you can't say there's a cost of living crisis and real wages are still going down and then put up taxes on, on ordinary people. Yeah. Um, so the way they got around that was by uh, taking the money from the planned mansion tax uh, new levy on uh, on tobacco firms and closing some tax loopholes, all of which are quite sort of smart and popular moves. Uh, but the impact was slightly diluted by the fact it leaked out the night before. And then, of course, we came to the speech itself, which was uh, far less impressive, uh, a, a poor performance compared to um, uh, Miliband's last two speeches, which were judged even by his critics to be um, to be strong performances. Because he did this no notes thing that he's done for a few years now, isn't it, where he speaks without a lectern, without notes. Um, and this time it really backfired on him because he left out a really crucial section. Um, what were people saying to you about that, Anoush? He left out a section on the deficit. Yes, he left out a section on the deficit and immigration. So obviously this was um, a dream for the Tories who are constantly bashing Labour for not speaking about the deficit enough. And it's also a difficulty for Labour as well because um, 
they have this new pressure from UKIP to really properly confront the immigration question. So the fact that he missed out the passage about immigration is also a bit of a problem for him. Um, I've heard from some people, I think George is one of them, who thinks it's actually a coincidence um, which passage he left out. It wasn't a Freudian slip. Yeah, exactly. It was, yeah. Um, so I think actually people have been quite uh, unfair on, on Ed for, for that. But... Um, it was a bit reckless of him to think that he could do a no-note speech when he hadn't had enough time to prepare because um, it was following the Scottish referendum and so he'd been extremely busy and this was the speech that he had to get right. It does seem odd, doesn't it? I I always think this, that, um, oh, yes, it's, it's an impressive feat to memorise a lot of text, but it's not necessarily my number one desirable quality in a political leader that they can just memorize a lot of stuff and you would think that this was the conference these are the conferences for all the the major party leaders where they're trying to look their most prime ministerial and their most electable would you say George? Exactly so I think even had he not forgotten the passage which is obviously a disaster meant that all of the many broadcast interviews he did the next day started with a question on that rather than a question on sound his NHS policy um, even if that wasn't the case, um, I think a lectern would have been better. I mean, one shadow cabinet minister said to me afterwards, yeah, we know he can memorise speeches, he's done it before. A lectern would have looked more prime ministerial and would have actually in some ways uh, suited the content and tone of the speech better. And he set out these six national goals um, for, for the next decade, all of which are, are quite sensible and, and help to... Um, counter this idea that Labour just offers short-term gimmicks rather than having a vision for the country. But the speech did start to sag quite a lot there. And I actually think a lectern would have seemed more appropriate because we've seen him give these quite energetic no-notes performances before. Last year with Britain can do better than this and the energy prices, the year before with One Nation. Um, he didn't have the notes, he was roaming around the stage, but it felt very flat mm. as a result. And apart from his speech, what was the mood like at the conference generally? Are Labour in fighting form, would you say? No, they didn't seem like a party um, on the brink of power, um, which, I mean, it may be an exaggeration to say they're on the brink of power, but they're still in with, I'd say, a good chance of being the largest party. It's hard to meet many people who are confident that they'll win a majority. Mm. Um, Their poll ratings are still stronger than a lot of people expected by now. They're still benefiting from the divided right and a more united left. Um, But there is a sense now that that it will be a scrappy win. Um, Back in 2012, it was possible to meet people who were very optimistic and thought Labour would be swept into power on the back of of outrage over austerity. And that hasn't hasn't quite happened. Instead, it doesn't feel like uh, the progressive moments that a lot of people in the centre-left hoped for. Instead, you've got other forces, the Scottish Nationalists, who've seen a huge surge in membership, uh, UKIP, who are taking some votes off Labour as well as votes off the Conservatives, and people turning to sort of populist nationalist forces rather than to Labour. Um, it's an interesting hypothetical. How would Labour be doing, say, had the Tories won a small majority in 2010 and, and were the Lib Dems not in coalition? Because at the moment, they're benefiting from the backlash against the Lib Dems. Yes, absolutely. Um, how many people are actually turning to Labour specifically because of their policy offer, their leader and so on? It does feel a bit like they could benefit by default rather than because of who they are. You spent quite a lot of time in, on the fringe at the party conference, mm-hmm. going to events and so on. Does, did that reflect what Georgia said there? Um, yes, I think that the atmosphere at the fringe and also in, in the actual conference hall was very flat. And I think that really jarred with the fact 
that Labour are going into this election nevertheless saying we're fighting for a majority, when most people think that it's inevitably going to have to be another kind of deal with the Lib Dems, um, which is what I picked up. Um, and so I think that I think they really do have to um, walk the walk as well as talk the talk mm. on that, because um, most of the numbers say that they will have to rely on on the Lib Dems if they want to form a proper government in 2015. Some kind of confidence yes, to supply, exactly. if not a full if coalition. Not, yeah. yeah, There's very little expectation of a, a kind of, well, obviously not a 97-style majority, but even just a, a comfortable, is there even in sense. But um, speaking of talk the talk mm. and walking the walk, um, UKIP conference is going on at the moment, um, which is, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say this is perhaps their first autumn conference where they've been taken seriously by, a, not if not a majority, but more people in the media and in the establishment as a, as a potential force. Uh, Tim Wigmore, um, the New Statesman's contributing writer, is reporting from there for us. Um, what's he been filing to you, Anoush? Um, he's been making some quite interesting points about how UKIP need to position themselves politically. So we always have uh, these conversations about um, Tory modernisers versus the Tories who want to pander to UKIP. And now it seems to be happening in UKIP as well, because we've got a very prominent figure in UKIP now, Douglas Carswell, who is the Tory MP who defected. And he's this sort of quite radical libertarian right winger. And then you have uh, people like, like Nigel Farage, who like to do the normal UKIP talk about anti-immigration and anti-EU. And there's a bit of a tension there, I think, which might become clear this afternoon when uh, Douglas Carswell is doing his speech just before Nigel Farage, so perhaps that will show some sort of split. That's there. interesting, there. Yeah, what do you think, George? We could see a bit of a, a power struggle in UKIP as they. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com become more uh, sort of invested mm. in the mainstream. I'm sure as they become a bigger party, uh, factions will emerge and all political parties are coalitions mm. and uh, UKIP will be no different. I don't think there's the potential for an immediate split, but it's quite clear, for instance, that UKIP's manifesto this time round is going to be a lot less libertarian and free markets than their one in 2010. They've already abandoned a flat tax. Uh, they're opposing policies like the bedroom tax, um, they are positioning themselves uh, you know, to the left of, of where they were before, which makes sense, um, given that Farage sees potential in, in, in taking votes off Labour in, in the North and, and other areas. Um, and that's, um, you know, that is uncomfortable for a lot of people who originally joined UKIP as, as a party well to the right of the Conservatives. Yes, quite. So what, what is this conference season about for them? What, what did you know, they're going to fight the general election. Mm. They've got their target seats. They've got places where they're polling very, very well. What do they need out of this mm. conference season? UK have got to show they're more than a one-man band, mm. um, not least because 
Nigel Farage does seem to have a habit of getting into near-death experiences. <laughs> do you yes, wonder, there is that. What's, uh, what if he eventually uh, so doesn't, uh, gets unlucky? Uh, who's, going to, who's going to take over? Uh, and they've got to do that in any case, simply just to show that they are sort of in the game and a serious party. Um, and then I think they've got to show they're also more than a protest party. Uh, obviously, it's a huge help that they are about to secure their first elected MP mm. in Douglas Carswell in Clacton. They will have a presence in the Commons, um, and they are becoming a more a more professional operation. You, I don't think you're going to have anything like the sort of Godfrey Bloom uh, sort of uh, drama that you had last year. Yes, I mean I've seen some pictures uh, from the conference. They they are trying to take all that sort of fruitcake and loonies and in-the-closet racist stuff, they're trying to turn it into a joke with their their kind of free fruitcake for all at the fringe, this kind of thing. They're trying to very clearly put that behind them and say, you know, we're a different sort of party now. But And, and as you say, you know, they are... It's less clear that they are, in fact, to the right of the Conservatives, as originally assumed. So looking ahead to the Conservative Party conference, Anoush, um, David Cameron's obviously been very preoccupied with uh, the ISIS threat and this uh, possibility that we're going to join with uh, the US in airstrikes. But he's going to have to put, as as prime ministers always have to, pull it out and become the party leader rather than the prime minister. Um, what, what are we looking to hear from him next week? Well, I think in a way, um, the vote on ISIS that's happening in Parliament today, whether or not to join in the airstrikes against um, Islamic State in, in Iraq, is going to help David Cameron because it's likely he's going to going to win that vote. And so maybe he'll go into conference in a, in a buoyant mood and be able to put behind him these recent weeks of um, mutterings from the back benches about the fact that he's been prevaricating over um, various things. Like he um, he had to come out and say he wanted English votes for English laws, for example, following um, the Scottish referendum no vote. Um, and so perhaps he will be able to temporarily at least for the mood of conference have his party united um together sort of behind him for once <laughs> well there is there is a tremendous advantage isn't there with um coming up to an election with this sort of incumbency uh, statesman-like mm. appearance you're you're able to project as the sitting leader um but it won't it isn't just cameron we'll be hearing from um osborne and other key figures in the party will be speaking this week um what what are your tips for what to look out for george with osborne his key aim will be to convince voters that it's not safe to change course it's not safe to to change team and that we've still got this big deficit and who are you going to trust to mm. to to get rid of the rest of it and um and also to offer the sort of some 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 light at the end of the uh, at the end of the tunnel for for those for those Tories who are desperate for for tax cuts, um, and then it's convincing people that the Tories actually have a plan for another term in government. I mean, one common question posed by people on the left and the right recently has been, what does what would the Tories actually do with another five years in power? What is David Cameron's vision? What does he stand for apart from? winning the election and, and, and abolishing the deficit. A lot of people felt that with the departure of Michael Gove, he'd lost um, sort of one of the key missions that the Conservatives had in terms of education. Um, there'll be a lot of sort of populist meat served up next week to, to the Tory base on the Human Rights Act, 
on uh, immigration, on future welfare cuts, but that doesn't add up to a sort of overarching vision or, or, or governing philosophy. This is something we at the NS have been looking at for a while. I remember doing a cover a couple of years ago that had the line, honey, I shrunk the Tories, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> compared to Thatcher's ideological mm-hmm. giant, you know, you have a tiny David Cameron, what does he really stand for? Um, and it certainly does feel like, I mean, we've not, the sort of major legislation brought in by the coalition was on education, on welfare, was out of the way quite quickly. So it's been a while since we've heard what does David Cameron believe in. Um, Anoush, do you have any idea what he might say next week? Um, I don't know. I mean, what what has David Cameron ever, ever really believed in, if you think about <laughs> it? Because um, when he came to, to the Tory leadership, he, he was on this sort of modernising bent and trying to detoxify uh, the Tory party, which he hasn't managed to do. And he's had to retreat back into um, sort of the... Tory safety net um, and perhaps he's going to have to retreat back even further into that net because of UKIP now because there are so many people in his party particularly on the back benches who who think that he's not doing enough to stave off their, their threat from the right so uh, I'm not sure what George thinks but I think there will certainly be some announcements that some people will be able to criticise as pandering to, to the UKIP threat. Is that right George? Yes, I think the big task for Cameron is to try and reunite the Tory family um, mm-hmm. after this this huge fracture on the right, which Carswell's defection both reflects and, and, and reinforces. And then I think he will go quite hard on Labour, that they are, the message that they will be sending is it's a straight choice, Cameron or Miliband in Downing Street, uh, you know, vote UKIP, get Labour. Um, and whether, how effective that is, I'm not sure, because most voters don't think about elections in terms of tactical choices. And of course, for Farage, the big advantage is with Carswell, he'll be able to say, you vote UKIP, you get UKIP. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is true. And just a, a, a brief word before we finish. We will talk about this more next week, I'm sure. But the Lib Dems, they're a party of government. They have a conference. Uh, week after next, what, what are we looking for from them, George? Well, for Clegg, the task is to show that they haven't lost their soul, that they still stand for something other than trying to get back into government again. <laughs> and that they have a... a, a strategy in place to hold as many of their seats as possible they, they know their vote is going to collapse in seats where they finished third last time um, even seats where they finished second so their task is to fight the election as 56 by-elections try and hold as many of their of their constituencies as they can um, but he's in a difficult position a lot of people thought their poll ratings would have started to recover now they haven't um, so of all the parties, of all the party leaders, it's still sort of Clegg who is who is in the worst position. He's the one playing play to win or lose the most yeah. here. Well, thanks very much, George and Anoush. Uh, we look forward to reading what you've got to write over the next few weeks. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast. You can find more from us on iTunes or on newstatesman.com forward slash podcast. We'll be back next week. This episode of the New Statesman podcast is supported by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and simple to build your own professional website and online shop. The easy-to-use drag-and-drop tools, responsive designs and 24-7 customer support teams based in New York and Dublin mean you can create a beautifully designed website for as little as £5 a month. This includes a free domain name when you sign up for a year. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code STATESMAN to get 10% off and show your support for the New Statesman. No credit card required. Start building your website today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.